0: Section 18 of Old Rail Fence Corners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrea. Old Rail Fence Corners. Edited by Lucy Leavenworth Wilder Morris. Mrs. Paulina Starkloff, 1854. My name was Paulina Lenchka. I was twelve years old when I came to Minneapolis in eighteen fifty four. We intended to stay in Saint Paul, but were told that this was a better place, so came here and bought an acre and a half just where the house now stands, Main Street Northeast. The town then was mostly northeast. The St. Charles Hotel on Marshall Street Northeast was just below us, and so were most of the stores morgan's foundry and orth's brewery were just on the other side of us we paid six hundred dollars in gold for the land and half of it was in my name as my mother paid three hundred fifty dollars that i had made myself i think i was probably the only twelve-year-old child that came into the state with so much money earned by herself it was this way we went to australia to dig gold in eighteen forty seven we drove an ox-team into the interior with other prospectors doing the same until we came to diggings. The men would dig and then cradle the soil for the gold. This cradle was just like a baby's cradle, only it had a sieve in the bottom. One man would have a very long-handled dipper with which he would dip water from a dug well. He only dipped and the other man stirred with a stick and rocked. Most of the soil would wash out, but there would always be some dumplings caused by the clay hardening, and nothing but hard work would break them. The miners would take out the gold, which was always round, and dump these hard pieces. After a day's work there would be quite a pile that was never touched by them. I would take a can and knife and go from dump to dump gathering the gold in these dumplings. One day my father went prospecting with a party of men and was never seen again. After months of fruitless search, my mother took me and my little tin can of nuggets back to Germany. She sold them for me for $350 in gold. Then we came to Minnesota and bought this place. The Red River carts used to be all day passing our house. They would come squeaking along one after another. Sometimes the driver would take his wife and children with him. These carts had no metal about them. One man would have charge of several. Mrs. Anna E. Balser, 1855, 94 years old. I was the only girl in our family that ever worked, but when I was ten years old I laid my plan to get myself out of my mother's tracks. She had so much to do with her big family. I could cry when I think of it now. So... When I was fourteen, my father, scared for me and holding back every minute, took me to the city to learn the trade I had chosen. I was through in six months and could do the heaviest work as well as the finest. I wish you could see the fancy-bosomed shirts I used to make when I was fourteen. No one could beat me. I always had a pocketful of money, for I got two and six a day. That would be thirty-eight cents now. I went from house to house to work and always had the best room and lived on the fat of the land. It was a great event when the tailoress came. I came to Lakeland in 1855. The prairies around there looked like apple orchards back home. The scrub oak grew just that way. I would bet anything I could go and pick apples if I had not known. I had thought of buying in Minneapolis, but my friends who own Lakeland thought it was going to be the city of Minnesota, so I bought here. I was a tailoress and made a good living until the hard times came on. Money was plenty one day, the next you could not get a bit even anywhere. Then, after that, I had to trade my work for anything I could get. I brought a blue-black silk dress with mutton-leg sleeves among my things when I come, it was the best-wearing thing I ever see. Cheaper to wear than calico because it would never wear out. I paid a dollar a yard for it. It was twenty-seven inches wide. It took twelve yards to make the dress. For a wrap, we wore a long shawl. I had one of white lace. We got three yards of lace webbing and trimmed it with lace on the edge. Or we would take one width of silk and finish that fancy on the edge. The ruffles on everything was fluted. When you shirred them, you would hold them over the first and third finger, passing under the second finger. That would make large flutings. If you had an Italian iron, you could do it fast, but there weren't many so fortunate. An Italian iron was a tube about as big as your finger on a standard. Two rods to fit this tube come with it you could put these heated inside then run your silk ruffle or whatever you were making over it and there was your flute quick as a wink mrs mary e dowling eighteen fifty five as miss watson i came from pennsylvania in eighteen fifty five and took a school to teach back of marine i got thirty six dollars in gold a month and so was well paid had from five to twenty-five children who came to learn and so behaved well. When I would walk through the woods, I would sometimes see a bear leisurely sagging around. When I did, my movements were not like his. All kinds of wild animals were very plenty. The foxes were the cutest little animals and so tame. They would seem to be laughing at you. A band of Indians was encamped at a lake near. One brave, all dressed in his Sunday best, used to come and sit in the kitchen day after day. He used to talk to the men, but never said a word to us. He could speak good English. One day the chief came in and went for him. Said he had been away from his teepee for days and his squaws wanted him. Like lightning he crossed the room to where I was and said, Me got Sioux squaw. Me got Winnebago squaw. Me want white squaw. You go?' I WAS VERY EARNEST IN DECLINING. MRS. ROBERT ANDERSON, 1854 I was the first white woman in Eden Prairie. I came in 1854 with my husband and small children, and settled there in one of the first log-houses built. We paid for our farm the first year from the cranberries which grew in a bog on our land, and which we sold for a dollar a bushel. I had never seen Indians near to, and so was very much afraid of them. One day, a big hideously painted brave marched in, seated himself, and looked stolidly around without making a sound. His long knife was sticking in his belt. I was overpowered with fright and for a few moments could do nothing. My children, one two years old and the other a baby, were asleep behind the curtain, Realizing that I could do nothing for them and that his anger might be aroused if he saw me run away with them, I fled precipitately in the direction where my husband was working. I had run about a quarter of a mile when my mother heart told me I might not be in time if I waited for my husband, so I turned and fled back towards the cabin. Entering, I saw my little two-year-old boy standing by the Indian side playing with the things in his belt while the Indian carefully held the baby in his arms. In his belt were a tobacco-pouch and pipe, two rabbits with their heads drawn through, two prairie-chickens hanging from it by their necks, a knife and a tomahawk. His expression remained unchanged. I gave him bread and milk to eat, and ever after he was our friend, oftentimes coming and bringing the children playthings and moccasins. When he left, he gave me the rabbits and prairie-chickens, and afterwards often brought me game. One day Mr. Anderson was at work in the field, a long distance from the house. He was cutting grain with a scythe and told me he would just about get that piece done if I would bring him his supper. I had never been over on this knoll which was on the other side of a small hill from the house. I got his supper ready, taking all the dishes and food in a basket and carrying a teapot full of tea in my hand. I had to pass a small cranberry bog and could see squaws at work picking berries. As I came to a clump of trees, ten or twelve Indians, with their faces as usual hideously painted, the whole upper part of their bodies bare and painted, rose from this clump of trees and looked at me. I waited for nothing, but threw my basket and teapot and made for the house. As I got to the top of the hill, I looked back and could see the Indians feasting on my husband's supper. Upon his return home to supper that evening, he brought the dishes and the teapot with him. We had been in Eden Prairie about six years and had never been to church, as there was no church near enough for us to attend. We heard there was to be preaching at Bloomington and determined to go. We had always been church-going people and had felt the loss of services very keenly. We had nothing but an ox-team and thought this would not be appropriate to go to church with, so, carrying my baby, I walked the six miles to church and six miles back again. The next Sunday, however, we rode nearly to church with the ox-team, then hitched them in the woods and went on foot the rest of the way. Mr. Anderson was always a devoted friend of Mr. Pond, the missionary, and attended his church for many years one of mr anderson's sons took up a claim in the northern part of the state when mr pond died he came down to the funeral upon his return he saw a teepee pitched on the edge of his farm and went over to see what it was there for and who was in it as he neared it he heard talking in a monotone and stood listening wondering what it could mean he pushed up the flap and saw indians engaged in prayer HE ASKED THEM WHO TAUGHT THEM TO PRAY, AND THEY REPLIED, GRIZZLY BEAR TAUGHT US. HE TOLD THEM GRIZZLY BEAR, WHICH WAS THE INDIAN NAME FOR MR. POND, WAS DEAD AND WOULD BE SEEN NO MORE. HE TOOK FROM HIS POCKETBOOK A LITTLE WHITE FLOWER WHICH HE HAD TAKEN FROM THE CASKET, TOLD THEM WHAT IT WAS, AND EACH ONE OF THEM HELD IT REVERENTLY WITH MUCH LAMENTATION. THIS WAS TWENTY YEARS AFTER THESE PEOPLE HAD BEEN TAUGHT BY GRIZZLY BEAR. End of Section 18. Recording by Andrea.